situation. He took a pinch in the back. He got beamed for crying out loud. We used heart attack. Lee. Managers on a major league baseball team don't make decisions. Credibility in this situation is worse than losing your job. Was it over with the Germans bomb Pearl Harbor? The castration of the major league baseball managers. We know it. Ask me about my win. So every time I hear somebody say, forget about playing the regular players and bring in the kids, play the kids, I look at the person in the eye and I see a quitter. I see somebody that's given up on their respective team season. I see somebody that as a fan has completely lost faith in what they believe could be a good team. Like they thought they had a good team before, but all of a sudden, hopefully it doesn't happen too soon, that person quit. And I can't stand that stance that people make. And it's such a good leg to stand on if you're a sports fan. If you think about it, you, you root for a team and it's almost like you can't do any wrong. If your team sucks, if your team's shitty, if your team doesn't live up to expectations, if your team doesn't go out there and win a championship, just like you're expecting that team to, you have this easy leg to stand on. Hey, it's okay. My team sucks. But if I say go play the kids, that means that I don't know. What the hell does that even mean? It's it's a quitting notion made by fans, and it's even worse when it's done by people in the media. So every time that that's said, every time that that's spoken about, I look that person in the eye or I envision what that person would look like, and I say that person's a quitter. That person's a lousy sports fan. You couldn't be any worse of a sports fan if you're so eager to watch young kids play at the expense of watching your team have the best chance of competing for a championship. That's number one. Had to get that off my friggin' chest. Number two, the Milwaukee Bucks made, in their opinion, I think my opinion, probably an aggressive move by deciding to move on from their head coach and basically proves that you know, one of the worst jobs you could have in professional sports is to be a coach of an either NBA or NHL team because nothing you do ever seems to be good enough. You know, the Bucks won an NBA championship just two years ago. I get it. You don't like the way that the season finished. There's expectations that after having a number one seed in a conference, going out there in the first round against the eighth seed Miami team. But once again, that Miami team, and I've said it before, is not like your regular eighth seed. Yeah, it sucks that they lost. Does a coach have to pay for it and lose their job? And if that's the case, then what exactly is on the table for that team to get any better? In other words, what's the next step? What do you what do you end up bringing in? Who is the better coach than Mike Budenholzer for the Milwaukee Bucks? I think what they need to do, honestly, is the thing that sucks about that team, the thing that probably brought them down, is the fact that they have way too many overpaid role players or tertiary players on that roster. There's too many players that, honestly, aren't going to get a whole lot of playing time, aren't having a ton of an impact in regards to whether that team wins or loses, and in some cases aren't even part of the rotation. So you take those contracts, and the goal probably should be to go out there and find a team that's looking to dump a star player. Find another Utah Jazz of this offseason. You go out there, and I know a lot of people want to see the Portland Trailblazers move on from Damian Lillard. In the end, it's up for Portland and what they want to do. They expect to win a championship with the likes of Lillard 
I think you want to go out there and, and do that. I think you want to continue to build upon what you have there. But listen, if they're going to listen to the media, if they're going to listen to other teams' fans who say, hey, you know, I'd love to have Lillard as a star next to the other star that we have on this given roster, then that's up to them. They could do that. But what I think the Bucks have to do, you take some first round draft picks in the future, you take some of these wasted contracts where you got overpaid players. Uh, doing really limited or nothing or having very tertiary or nondescript roles on your given roster and get the Greek freak somebody to play alongside him. Get him another star in there. You know, somebody like like a Donovan Mitchell. And obviously Donovan Mitchell was already traded. It's not like the Cavs are going to move on from him. He's their number one. But you want to get a player from another team that's going to go out there and be up on the same level from a star standpoint that the Greek freak was. You know, he, he wasn't able to play in a couple games during the series. Yeah, shit happens. People get hurt. But, you know, you want to have that second star. If you want to turn the Bucks championship in 2021 into a series of championships, which, by the way, they win for the first time in 50 years, you know, that's got to hold something when it comes to the job security of a given coach. I mean, uh, the Toronto Raptors moved on from Nick Nurse. The Lakers moved on from Frank Vogel. So three straight years out of the last four, the coach that has led the team to winning of the NBA championship is no longer in that position. You know the Lakers was player-driven. Speaking of the Lakers, i got to laugh about this, and I'm not going to spend that much time on it, but Russell Westbrook, Patrick Beverly, two players that were Lakers this past year, they both say, hey, we should get rings if the Lakers win the NBA championship. Now listen, first of all, the chances of the Lakers winning the NBA championship, they gotta get by Golden State first. The seasons the series is one up. And then ultimately they're probably gonna have to play Denver. You know, and I give a you know a little bit of a chance to Denver's opponent. You know, they, it, it's not it's not over in that series in regards to Phoenix. I think Phoenix is a very good team. Phoenix, a lot of people say can go out there and win the championship. But you know, nobody's really looking at the Lakers, and maybe maybe people in Los Angeles are starting to believe. You know, that 18 and nine finish to the regular season, beating Memphis in the first round, winning the first game against the Golden State Warriors. I'm not ready to believe that the Lakers are really a contender to win the entire thing at the moment. I wouldn't mind seeing it happen, but <laughs> the, what's laughable about this, and I'm sure a bunch of assholes have already talked about this already. You know, Russell Westbrook and Patrick Beverly, particularly Westbrook, were the reason that the Lakers were on the outside looking in when it came to the playoffs. What was the turning point of the season? The turning point of the season was when the Los Angeles Lakers got rid of your ass in the first place and replaced you with more competent players that have led the team in a better direction. So if I'm the Lakers and somehow this thing come becomes a reality and they go out there and win themselves another championship, AD goes off, LeBron, you know, jumps into the uh the dream of Ghost of Christmas past and the Lakers are champions again, under no circumstances should they give Russell Westbrook nor Patrick Beverly a ring. So the other thing I wanted to spend a little time talking about, and you hear this happen more probably in hockey than in other sports. And the issue is when it comes to fans of a given team, they got home playoff games, they're worried about their arena being taken over by fans of the other team. And, you know, it happens in baseball sometimes. I've seen it happen in basketball. You know, football teams have tried it. It's kind of hard 
to restrict somebody based off of a region. Number one, when you're talking about sports that have fans of teams that are from different areas. In other words, you know, if you're a Florida Panthers fan and you happen to live in Georgia and Florida decides to restrict all the ticket sales to the Florida Panther games to everybody in the state of Florida, then that fan of that given team is at a disadvantage. Now, the latest is the Florida Panthers deciding that they want to restrict the sales to anybody outside of the United States or the entire country of Canada because they don't want Toronto Maple Leaf fans in their arena. Now, while there's a part of me that appreciates where this comes from, you want to fill your arena with your own fans, you want to try the best you can to restrict fans that root for the other team from coming in your arena, there's no way to stop this. There's no way this is going to be able to be curtailed per se. Like I said, there may be Florida Panther fans in the state, in a, in a country of Canada. There could be. There could be Toronto, you know, people who live in Toronto that root for the Florida Panthers. It's unlikely. The amount of people is probably very few, but I'm sure it happens in the day and age that we live in when it comes to sports the way we see it. There's a lot of fans out there, myself included, that can go back to being in third or fourth or fifth grade and you're trying to think of what team you really want to get behind because you haven't decided on one yet. Maybe your parents weren't big into a given sport so there's nobody to really follow in regards to your allegiance and you find a player and this happens most often in basketball. Somebody like a Steph Curry, somebody like a Kevin Durant, somebody like a Kawhi Leonard. And you're like, dude, I like the way that that dude plays. And because of that, I'm going to go throw my allegiance behind this given team. You could be thousands of miles away, but you want that to be the reason that you can't go see a playoff game of your given team? I don't like that. And once again, this whole regional sports phenomenon, or, or I think the over, over uh, uh, embellishment of, not all sports fans are within a, re a region. You know, we like to believe that, hey, if you're in, in Miami, if you're in Philadelphia, if you're in New York, you're in Los Angeles, that you're automatically a fan of the four sports and the four local teams. It, 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 it's switched so much. It really started in the NFL, right, with the dominance of teams like the Steelers and the Cowboys and even the Dolphins of the 70s, where you got so many fans all over the country that are rooting for a given team, not necessarily in a region. The Yankees, the Lakers, you're looking at teams that really are pretty national as opposed to regional. So if I'm thinking that I'm somehow keeping fans of the other team out of my arena, it, it may seem like that on paper, but I don't know if it's necessarily true. Plus the other element, dude. If I'm a fan that happens to live in a different state or a different country, I don't want to be restricted because the team wants all of my fans in a given arena. Now, if that fan base isn't strong enough on their own to retain their tickets, like, first of all, season ticket holders are looking to get so much money, especially the amount of money that playoff tickets are worth, you know, hold on to your tickets. Season ticket holders have the biggest control over a given arena, uh, field, or ice in all of sports. They can control the flow of the crowd if they don't sell their tickets. If you're a fan that has tickets and you want to get more money for it, 
you know, hold on to your tickets and go out there and watch your freaking team play. So as we sit here in today's Saving Sports History segment, today, of course, is the fifth day of May 2023. We remember the year of 1863, and there was a boxer by the name of Joe Coburn who knocked out Mike McCool for the heavyweight title, which was held in Maryland. This was actually an illegal fight because boxing for you know in many states was outlawed. But what stands out about this is Joe Coburn knocked out Mike McCool in the 67th round of a boxing fight. And you know, could imagine, you know, the you know, what ends up having to happen after taking that many hits for that many rounds, basically an hour and a half consistently of repeated blows to the head. Mike McCool ought to be taken out on a wagon as they uh versed it at the time. Just a, a quick tally. How old did they end up living to be? Well, they both lived about another twenty or so years. So uh Coburn was 55 when he died, and McCool was 50 when he died. Obviously, you're talking about a time frame. 1863 is when this fight was. It's not like the average uh, span of life was very high at the time. So it was kind of average you know, to die somewhere in your 50s in the, in the 19th century. So Cy Young in 1904 threw the third complete, uh, complete game shutout, no-hitter, Perfect game in the history of Major League Baseball. Of course, there's been 23 recorded. This happened on uh, third happened on this day in 1904, 1925. A very uh, what would later instead uh, kind of uh, proceed something that would be a lot more major. Everett Scott, at the time playing for the Yankees, was benched by the New York Yankees, ending his consecutive game streak of 1,307. Lou Gehrig, of course, ends up playing in 2,130 consecutive games over the course of his career, eventually breaking that all-time record, which we know Cal Ripken holds at the moment. 1949, Charlie Gehringer, one of the best second basemen in the history of Major League Baseball, a guy whose statue I got a chance to see at Comerica Park within the last couple days was inducted into baseball's Hall of Fame. If I'm ranking my top three short three second basemen of all time, I'm going Rogers Hornsby number one, and I got a tie. It's really close. I'm ambivalent. I can't really come up with one or the other, but it's Joe Morgan and Charlie Garringer right there at number two and three. In 1966, Stanley Cup Finals, the Montreal Canadiens defeated the Detroit Red Wings four games to two for their second consecutive Stanley Cup. 1969, the NBA Finals. The Boston Celtics beat the Los Angeles Lakers in seven games. And on that same day, the Milwaukee Bucks had taken a center from UCLA by the name of Lou Alcindor. And on that day, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar signs with the Milwaukee Bucks, of course, becomes the legendary dominant figure as one of the best big men to ever play in a sport. Some people have to really put him up in the top three. I mean, I look at him as a top five player of all time. Obviously, the all-time leading scorer until LeBron James passed him this year. But a very big day in the history of the National Basketball Association when Kareem Abdul-Jabbar signed with the Bucks. 1978, Pete Rose becomes the 14th member 
of the 3,000 hit club, the all-time leader in hits now, and a guy that should absolutely be in a Baseball Hall of Fame because of the stats. 1995, the last game ever at the Boston Garden as the Celtics were eliminated from the postseason. 2021, just two years ago, John Means of the Baltimore Orioles threw a no-hitter against, uh, I believe it was the Seattle Mariners. And what stands out about this no-hitter is it really was as clean of a game as possible. Means did not intentionally allow any player to reach base over the course of the game. No hit-by-pitches, no walks, no errors. The only player to reach base is on a dropped third strike, which kind of puts this in the borderline. And I think three no-hitters stand out in this same regard. I think of Means's no-hitter with the drop third strike by the catcher. I think of Max Scherzer's no-hitter where Jose Tabata kind of just stepped into a pitch uh, as the last batter of the game and got hit. And then I look at Clayton Kershaw's no-hitter that would have been a perfect game had not Hanley Ramirez made an error as the third baseman. Birthdays on this day, the fifth day of May. 1857, Lee Richmond was born. Lee Richmond stands out as he is the first player in the history of Major League Baseball to throw a perfect game. One, number one out of what became 23. 1883, Chief Bender was born. Great pitcher for the Oakland, I'm sorry, the Philadelphia Athletics. Won three World Series championships in 1910, 11, and 13. And also was the first native-born American to play in Major League Baseball was actually a, a Native American, had Native American ancestry. And somebody says, and I look at I looked at the source, that he is the only Native American player in the Baseball Hall of Fame. 1971, Harold Miner was born. And you say, Harold Miner, what does he stand out for? Well, think of his nickname. He was known as Baby Jordan. Basically, the next, and there were there were other players that ended up kind of getting that same type of treatment, but the uh, star player, so much um, upside in regards to his flair, his ability to dunk the basketball, the 12th overall pick out of USC, was expected to become the next star of the National Basketball Association. It never happened. Four seasons in the NBA, three with Miami, one with Cleveland. First three years, he barely averaged 20 minutes a game, nine points per game over the course of his career. It just never happened. You think of a guy like Ja Morant, who's kind of looked in that same type of you know flair, just a flying dunks and you know dramatic type of uh, excitement to basketball. Harold Miner, baby Jordan, never really panned out. He was born on this day in 1971. 1985, P.J. Tucker was born. P.J. Tucker, of course, of the Philadelphia 76ers. He's done a good job defensively. You really want to see if, if they're going to end up beating the Boston Celtics over the course of this series, how he really contributes on both sides of the ball. You may need to put the ball in his hands to take a couple more shots if you're going to win that series, if you're the Philadelphia 76ers. On this day in 1951, we lost Leo Deagle who was the PGA champ, former golfer, won the PGA championship in 1928 and 1929. And in 2021, we lost former Major League catcher Del Crandall. 
He was 11-time All-Star World Series champion with the Milwaukee Braves in 1957. This is the Passball Show brought to you by JohnPLA.com, by St. Aloysius Church in Jackson, New Jersey, by Two Ways, One Passion Food Truck located in Scranton, Pennsylvania. For those of you interested in hearing me flap my yap mouth, um, you can check me out, Spotify, Apple Music, Amazon Music, and of course videos on YouTube. We'll be back with you soon. God bless you. And as always, I'll see you on the other side. Why don't you give it all or a majority of it to the team that wins the friggin' World Series? I was going to listen to that, but then I just carried on living my life. Now they come out as the biggest Major League Baseball manager apologist. It'll only make someone work just hard enough not to get fired. Because hitters are going out there saying, I'm either going to hit a home run or I'm going to strike out. And if I don't get a pitch that I feel like I could drive out of the park. I'm not even supposed to be here today. Especially prospect whores and hoarders are going to be a little pissed off at me when I say this. I'm a dude playing the dude disguised as another dude. There are only two managers in baseball's Hall of Fame who have losing records. One of them is the iconic Connie Mack, who you could say, in spite of winning five World Series championships as a manager, could be in as much as a pioneer. side of the spectrum they're on. Were they pitching? Were they batting? If your favorite team was pitching and a ball got inside and hit a batter, there's no way it could have been on purpose. But if, if you were a fan of the team that was batting and the ball got inside and hit somebody or went behind somebody's head, absolutely 100%, unequivocally, that pitcher was throwing at They put their tail between their legs and decided they're going to do exactly what they're told. Series of years. 35 years ago, I could have loaned your parents the money for an abortion. <laughs>